Hello, and welcome to More at Stake, the family business podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Rankert-Thomas. In our last several episodes, we've been talking about ways both your human and enterprise capital can become driving forces for innovation and resilience for your family business. Today, we will hear firsthand about the potential that identifying and harnessing enterprise capital can offer. David Worth is chair and former CEO of Worth Industries, and he's also executive director and our colleague at the Family Enterprise Center at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Engaged Ownership Associate Nathaniel Squires sat down for an interview with David to discuss how Worth Industries has turned a simple strategic concept into a robust form of enterprise capital. Well, David, it's great to have you with us here on More at Stake, the Family Business Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So listeners, as, as we mentioned, David is the former CEO of Worth Industries. David, do you mind telling us a bit about um, Worth Industries, the businesses it includes, and, um, and how those businesses kind of relate and share space and resources? Sure. Um, Nathaniel, I think we've known each other longer virtually than we have in person at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, it's great to get a chance to talk with you. Um, and... I really enjoyed working with you through the through the spring in our classes, and um, you know, getting to know about the way you and Amy work together uh, has been fascinating to me. Um, and you guys teach me things every time we talk. So um, some of what I'm saying is is kind of uh, I'll just call it like things that I have realized when I've had the time to reflect on family businesses through the Family Enterprise Center. Um, but our core business is called Worth Industries. It was started in 1957 by my grandfather. And it then passed to his three sons, one of which was my dad. And it was principally a gravure printing business, uh, which is a type of printing that's great for uh, certain industries like gift wrap printing, poultry industry, uh, tea bags, um, and tobacco papers and other specialty papers. So it's really long run, high speed printing. And we're still running some of the same machines in that business that he actually helped design, uh, which is a fun legacy. Um, I came into the business, uh, right around 2000 after graduating from UNC and started out on the factory floor quickly realized I was not cutting it. And so, um, went back and got, uh, my accounting, um, cert- certificate and I'm a CPA and kind of worked my way around the business on a rotational program. Um, learned everything from customer service to how to receive and ship, drive a forklift, uh, be assistant press operator on the presses. Um, and then transitioned into the accounting department where I eventually became the controller and then took over management um, of our printing business. So now I own the business with my brother and cousin. We ended up acquiring the business after divesting major portions of the printing business. And we got down to about a quarter of the size we were at one time. And that legacy business is what remains um, of the old family business that's now over 60 years old. And how about today? What are you guys um, What are you guys doing uh, today now with with Worth Industries? So 
as part of the process of working through how to transition the business, the route we ended up taking was to really sell off parts of the business. And that meant that a big, a big portion of space opened up as we shut down business lines and reconfigured as the business changed and got smaller. Um, selling some of the businesses allowed uh, my dad and his brothers to really kind of shore their financial situation up for retirement. It also got to a scale that we could actually acquire uh, as the third generation at a market rate. And um, we ended up with a smaller printing business, mostly printing gift wrap paper uh, and a ton of warehouse space. So I, my brother, Jonathan, was in Charleston working in warehousing and um, I convinced him to come up and told him if you ever wanted to start your own logistics business this is your chance so I kind of tricked him into coming on board after about two years of, of chatting about it he made the move and came to Greensboro we ended up doing some overflow storage in this vacant warehouse space formerly that was absorbed by by inventory for our printing businesses uh, for another logistics company, um, he got along so well with these owners. Uh, we had known him for years because we had stored raw paper with them. Um, that the conversation about acquiring that business called Lewis Logistics proceeded much faster than I think any of us expected. And uh, the owners of Lewis Logistics were ready to sell their business. They'd had a transition plan that hadn't worked out with a family member. And so there was a little bit of fatigue there. Um, and we ended up acquiring Lewis and immediately John got to work filling up that space. Lewis logistics now has about, I'll say a million, 700,000 square feet of space over seven warehouses and, uh, just opened up our first space outside of the triad, uh, area in North Carolina, which was really exciting. Uh, down in Warsaw, North Carolina. And so he's quickly built a team that's taken advantage of this legacy space and then really taken that business to a scale now that we're really thinking about what those next steps are um, to grow. Yeah, well, I, I imagine um, those conversations may have changed uh, in, in light of, of recent events and, and COVID and um, the world we're, we're living in right now. Is, what have those conversations been like around the future and um, changes that, that COVID have brought to us? It has been like a whirlwind. And um, the guy, I will say our employees could not have handled it better, given how stressful it's been. Um, we've got a lot of situations like everybody does with people whose kids have been at home trying to find ways to keep them engaged in school while also reporting to work. Um, it's been a, a super challenging time, but it's also a time when I say like who you really are shows up when you get under stress. And so I have found that in a way it's also brought out some qualities that have been really, um, have really helped us grow the business in such a terrible time because of the strength of the team. Um, and it's stressed our strategy at Lewis, uh, but it's also meant that that stress and having that strategy in place and good team 
um, good systems has allowed us to actually take advantage of some situations in some of the markets that are growing during the coronavirus. On the plant floor, there's just been significant. If you looked at my email chain with my brother, I, we we usually email from five to six o'clock on Thursdays and have a meeting, and we'll do occasional emails throughout the week. Um, you know, you would say like like what is wrong with this team? Because as soon as we get something in place, it was like the situation changed or guidance changed. So just constant communication and adapting to um, what's going on in the market. But if you go to the facility now, you'll see everybody properly distanced at at least six feet while they're working. Uh, Everybody wearing masks. Um, uh, We've have, um, disinfectants, uh, hand sanitizers everywhere at different stations, whether that's near the bathrooms, near the time clocks. Uh, every facility is being cleaned three times a day, all the way from doorknobs to railings to any place within those facilities that gets regularly touched and occupied by people, break rooms, tables. So there's a lot going on to try to make sure we maintain a safe environment for our employees. Uh, A lot of it's customer driven. Customers are really worried about um, making sure that uh, if they're associated with this, they don't want us showing up on the news as a place where coronavirus is spread that would make their customers worried, but they also don't want that to affect their supply chains. If we were to have to shut down and we couldn't distribute product for them, and things like that. So just a tremendous amount of work being done to make sure that we can continue to operate and be a safe place to work for everybody. I do think there's something to say for what we can discover, the capabilities in ourselves we can discover when we're stressed and tested in in these kind of ways. You were touching on strategy there, and I've always been fascinated by your approach, um, Worth Industries' approach, but and Lewis Logistics particularly, um, you guys have a motto called fast and flexible, and that kind of being what defines everything you guys do within the business. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you guys live fast and flexible and you know, the trade-offs you guys choose to make um, to, to embody that and just how that, how that works for you? Well, definitely we took the time to try to figure out how we could grow in the market and came up with this little little saying, fast and flexible, because a strategy is great, but it's got to be also be something that can be communicated to other people. And so for a long time, we had elements of this strategy, but we weren't able to kind of package it up in a way that led to everybody within the organization understanding what that was. And that's still a constant process of kind of supporting that strategy with communication. We make a, we make a huge effort to communicate visually within our warehouses and at the end of each day with emails um, in both our businesses. So part of that coming up with Fast and Flex was figuring out how to deliver it. Uh, And that's internally and externally. Well, what we've settled on is a system where we have certain guidelines and ways that we operate within our business that is different than other logistics businesses. Um, Fast and Flexible means staggering our leases so that we can grow and consolidate space or we can shrink and get out of space because that's a big part of the uh, cost of our business and it's a fixed cost that we need to maintain some flexibility with so we can shrink and grow as needed for our 
customers. Um, we have leases on forklifts. Other people would probably buy theirs um, and do things differently. We rent uh, equipment and other things so that we can get out of things or get new things uh, quicker. Uh, or we have a one, ha one hour response time requirement. So anytime someone gets a call or an email from an employee uh, or a customer, uh, that needs to be at least acknowledged to the sender within an hour. And um, all of those things combined um, have led to what I think has been a significant value to our customers. Um, we don't ask a lot of questions when people deliver things, and we like to try to get customers in the door without a lot of upfront work because we know that's hard for people when they're trying to get a project done. And so we're willing to kind of get a project started and then dot I's and cross T's after the inventory arrives on the dock with more limited information than some warehousers are comfortable with. But it's kind of a real world mindset where we recognize that it's going to be, it's not a point in time when somebody becomes a customer and we become a good um, uh, vendor we really want to grow with them and it's a process of uh, becoming partners. So you're, you're saying how it's communicated across all levels of the, um, of the enterprises. Is there, do you guys have specific training or onboarding around getting, getting your people, getting your human capital to understand and, and be able to act within fast and flexible beyond just, as you just said, the, the kind of decisions you guys make for process. My brother, John, who's the president of Lewis Logistics, likes to say that the best interview is walking around a warehouse with somebody as fast as you can to see if they can keep up. Because it is a 24-hour business. It's really fast. And so we try to do some things early on when somebody comes into the business to make sure they're a good fit for fast and flexible. I will say some of the trade-offs are that sometimes people just don't work within that environment. Maybe they're really... Uh, well-spoken, they've got the right experience and skill set, but they just aren't able to reply to people within an hour every time. And so we've had people who were really good at what they did that didn't work within our business, and they end up going to find something that's a better fit for them, and we bring somebody in that is better at hanging with that requirement um, because it is demanding. Um, you know, another thing that we realized we really had a significant advantage in was the use of space. Our, our printing business is mostly gift wrap paper, which is super seasonal and holiday oriented. What that means is that for certain portions of the year, we had open warehouse space for that business. And then certain portions of the year, it, it's really packed when we're shipping for the holidays. And so Lewis is able to absorb space and effectively pay rent for the printing business in periods of time when the printing business isn't using that space. That's also an advantage to Lewis logistics because it can take on projects that might be three, four five months long at certain times of the year. And then it can give that space back for certain customers that have seasonal needs. That's been a huge advantage for us and something that really gave us, I think some early opportunities that have really paid off. Yeah, I, I really love that, David, how you guys make decisions and, and take opportunities for that space and, and the seasonality of it. Um, there was one particular project where you guys were working with a ba battery manufacturer. Do you mind telling us that story of how Fast and Flexible played out in that instance? 
Sure. That's a perfect example because a lot of times the projects that we get when we're trying to pick up business are not the easiest projects. It's because somebody needs something and needs it now that they're reaching out to you in the first place because they can't get it done elsewhere. And uh, we had a battery uh, company and it uh, it was actually the battery manufacturer's uh, packaging uh, vendor reached out to us in partnership with the battery manufacturer and they needed the entire holiday season's batteries put into display cases within a matter of weeks and we're way behind. And over the course of two days, we hired over a hundred temporary employees, got them oriented around what the project was going to be like, took the business and trucks were showing up with batteries. We were marrying that with cardboard displays and developed a system for, um, getting that project done in a timeline that I think most businesses would say, uh, was impossible, but those are like the most fun and the best projects for John and his team of several, um, of, of the employees who just, that's what they like to do is figure out how to design solutions for things that are urgent, things that maybe somebody else wouldn't take and might call a hassle they enjoy that aspect of it. And um, that person or that company keeps coming back to us and they've become a long-term uh, customer of ours from that initial engagement. And so that's satisfying too. And you see that you've overcome a challenge with somebody and that they appreciated your work and then they become kind of a, a longer-term part of the business is like an ideal um, situation. Now, I have an easy job because I'm a CPA and I'm kind of accounting and finance oriented. The ops folks that pull <laughs> this stuff off have skill sets that I uh, do, wouldn't be able to handle. You know, they're just fabulous at working with people. When I walked through the battery project that time that we're talking about, every time they finished a pallet, they had a thing where everybody on the floor would at the same time say, whoop, there it is, when they put the pallet cap on each pallet. So there's also an element of letting everybody know that this is a hard business on the floor, but this team at Lewis is really great at making sure that we understand it's a heck of a lot of work. It's very demanding. It's fast-paced, and we got to have a little bit of fun and safe ways um, and try to keep it light. And we try to do things like Chick-fil-A lunches, no one's ever turned down a Chick-fil-A sandwich or a chicken nugget plate to create. I will say this, like we do try to do a few extra things because we are a family business. And I think that comes with treating people kind of like a broader family. Sometimes that's not because we don't need to make money, uh, but we spend money on some things with a long-term mindset. That means we're going to, we value stability over time instead of just making as much money as we can over the next three months. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just, I very much love that story. Um, and our listeners who have been following along will know we've been talking about human capital and core capital in general, um, in several of these last, um, episodes. And this one for me really puts it in such a special kind of lens. Um, as you said, you guys have, you guys invest in your employees. You guys know this is tough work. Um, you guys have them bought into 
not only the culture and the family that is within Worth Industries, but also um, the fast, flexible approach. And so I, what I want to jump from here is how I think what you guys have done is take a very kind of elemental piece of human capital and kind of know-how in this ability to utilize space well, and you've paired it, you've turned it into enterprise capital, which is a, a really significant topic in, in our work. So for our listeners who don't know, enterprise capital is the end result of combining human capital and financial capital to solve a problem. It's the unique capabilities of the business that give competitive advantage. So enterprise capital can be patents, processes, machines, algorithms, anything that enables a product to be made or a service to be delivered more quickly, artfully, efficiently, safely, economically, in short, better than the competition that can do it. Um, and David, I just think, I just love how you guys have taken this little bit of human capital and fast and flexible, this mindset and this approach, and you combine it with a, some financial capital. So your floor space, your rented, uh, your leased space, um, and the way you structure all of those things together. And, you know, all of your fiscal practices are, are there to, to maximize that flexibility. And then with John's know-how, your senior management's know-how, the relationships you've built on this fast, flexible mantra, you know, the, these folks came to you when they know they had a project, they were, you know, up a creek and, and they really needed to, to get something done. And so by, by pairing that capability, that human capital with that financial capital, I think you guys have created an incredible piece of enterprise capital that really sets you guys apart. And I, I just think in such a creatively, a, a, simple, a simple and creative way, and I'm, I'm struck by that. I think the other element of enterprise capital and something you've touched on and we've spoken on a bit is the ability to replicate it, which obviously you guys are striving to do. But is John, you guys are building out the senior management team. Are you guys taking steps to kind of broaden that fast, fast flexible enterprise capital um, in that way? We are. That's a big topic is how to continue the trajectory that the logistics business is on. Um, and bringing people with us, giving people opportunities to grow within the business uh, is going to allow the business to continue to expand. Um, a lot of it is on making sure we have very clear communication channels and expectations. And it's interesting, like some people will take, there's a, if you have to send an email at the end of the day and you're a manager at a site and you've got to communicate what was inbound and outbound for that day, what special kitting or other projects went on at the building at the facility. Some people will take that as a pain and it's like, we're checking up on them or they shouldn't have to communicate this. They're going to take care of it. Other people recognize that that's a good chance to make sure everybody knows what resources they may need to show when they're doing really good work. And then we try to find people who enjoy being successful and knowing what the targets are and then exceeding those targets. And so it manifests itself like the people who enjoy doing that start have started to bring in other people in their lives. Maybe they have some relationship with who like that as well. And so it, it's been cool to me to see that build on itself. Um, and now we're at the point where some of this has been being translated into guides and procedures and policies that are written down. But at first, you know, they say every, every business is a, there's a rule of thumb, every business is a crappy business. You know, some of it, um, if you don't know, if you don't, if you're not in the crap, you're not close enough to the situation. 
So some of it comes out of just being on the floor and trying to get stuff done and like figure things out and survive and then reflecting on what went well and what didn't. And we, one tool that we've learned through working with people who think about strategy as well as think about family businesses, everybody thinks about these things, but then if we can start to break them into concepts like you're talking about, like the interplay of core capital, human enterprise, uh, capital, financial capital working together, you start to think about, okay, let's list the elements of the different resources we have within those different buckets. And so we start to formalize the way we think about it a little more. And it's actually a big help, especially when you're trying to figure out what's next or how to change uh, which can be very challenging if you don't have these models. We we also plot out, one thing we started doing is plotting out, we think about advantage in our business in terms of the interplay of the activities within the business. And that's an activity mapping system where there are certain kind of bubbles, which are the things we do, and we connect those to each other in this system that leads to an understanding of where we're spending our time, what things we're spending our time on. And then we sometimes think about the most important part of that is what we're not going to do. Um, and that's yep. sometimes the hardest thing is you've got to make trade-offs. Um, and we try to identify things that we're going to stay away from or to avoid so that we can focus on the things that are important to us. Uh, already mentioned the the trade-offs in um, human capital. We've had some good people who just didn't work out over time because of the pace and the decisions we're making about how quickly we're going to always get back to people at any time of day. Uh, it means that we need people who can kind of live it. Um, and there are people who are willing to do that. And some good people you know, hadn't worked out that I still like and professionally think are fabulous at what they do but they're not fitting kind of within our model for kind of what we need out of our human capital, for instance. You know, you guys are fitting all parts of the enterprise to the fast, flexible concept. And I think it is a great success story that you guys are in the midst of. And, you know, I, I just wish you all the best going forward with it. Well, thank you so much. So, David, it's it's been an absolute joy to have us have you with us uh, here today on More at Stake, the Family Business Podcast. And, and I'm sure we're going to find some other opportunities to, to continue working together. Sounds great, Nathaniel. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. You can check out all our episodes, articles, and resources on www.engagedownership.com. You can learn more about David's work at the Family Enterprise Center at familyenterprise.unc.edu. If you've got a question or an idea that you'd like to hear us address, drop us an email at podcast at engagedownership.com. You've been listening to More at Stake, the family business podcast.